0: transfer Parking
1: thank you lord that when we submit to you lord when we recognize you and accept you father that you seal us lord with you that we become your children father so thank you for adopting us lord and please speak to us through your word this morning we thank you for this time in jesus mighty name we pray amen good morning again everybody you can take a moment to say hello to one another
2: morning. Good to see you all. It's great to see you guys saying hi to each other. What a blessing it is just to be able to come together as the body of Christ. We're so thankful that we have the freedom. You know, right now it could be easy to focus on the things that we're not allowed to do or the things that we can't do, but there's still so much that we can do. So let's, let's be the people that are shining light, you know, that are being the salt and not falling into the way of the world. You know, we're supposed to be different. We're supposed to be um, the fragrance of Christ in every place, right? So um, I'm super thankful that we have the freedom to come together and worship as a body. There's um, nothing like it, you know, to be able to worship together. So welcome this morning to Paradise Calvary. We have our connection cards. If you're new with us this morning and you haven't filled one of those out, we would love to get some information from you so that we can keep you up to date on everything that's going on. There's also a spot on there for prayer requests. So if you are not new with us, um, but you have anything that you would like prayer for, our prayer team is still definitely faithful to pray for everyone who submits those prayer requests. You can also submit prayer requests at the... um, Prayer at paradisecalvary.com. Something that Pastor John um, reminded some of, some of us on about at the church camping trip was we would love to hear praise reports as well. You know, if you've asked for prayer for something and the Lord has answered that prayer, or if he's just done something in your life that you would like to share with your church body, we would love to hear those as well too so that we can share with those people who are praying Um, So, reminder to RSVP for Sunday mornings, just so that we can make sure that everybody is spaced the way that we need to be spaced, we want to be good stewards. Wednesday at 6 p.m. we're still doing our um, study through 2 Samuel, so come out for that if you'd like, or it's being live streamed on Facebook and on the website and for tithes and givings you can do that our three ways there's the text to tithe or there's the website or you could just drop it in the box here if you're here and finally if you have any questions you can definitely see us at the information station or you can email info at paradisecalvary.com and before i forget if you haven't registered to vote sharon's here and she will be available after the service to help you guys do that so that everybody's set ready to go. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much, Lord, that you have called us to be your body, that you have enabled us and equipped us um, for every good work that you have for us to do, Lord. I thank you that you give us opportunities to respond to you, Lord, that you give us um, little divine appointments that we can walk in the faith that you have that you have gifted us with, Lord, and I pray that you would bless our time together this morning, that you will bless your word, that you would um, bless Pastor Tim as he shares it, and that your body would be encouraged and built up in you, and I pray these things in your name, amen.
3: Amen. Good morning, church. It's great to see you all, missed you all last Sunday when I was up in... You know, 75 up in the mountains and 115 here with you guys anyway. It's one of my favorite messages to preach all year because environmentally, I always teach on creation when we're on our church camping trip up in the mountains. And it's just, I don't have to really make my case too much when 10 feet away is a eight-foot-round, 200-foot-tall pine tree, and the clouds are in the sky, and I can yell as loud as I want, and people can't get mad at me because I'm typically a little bit louder, blessed with a big mouth, I guess. But it was beautiful. If you want to, keep that in mind so that you could join us next year. We do it every year, and it is a really incredible time of fellowship. We have people share their testimonies. It's life-changing um we're continuing our through the book of matthew series entitled forsaken kingdom if you need a bible can you go ahead and raise your hand we can get you a bible here it's been sanitized for, for your health the word of god is clean But just to kind of refresh you, if you haven't been with us or, you know, if you popped in later, the whole theme of the Gospel of Matthew is this guy Matthew who writes this gospel from the perspective of somebody who had forsaken his people his kingdom that's what most of the Jews looked at tax collectors and thought he said I I would rather be less identified as a Jew as an Israelite and and the enemy that's occupying that's requiring taxes I'm going to go work for him So I can make some decent money. And and then then this thing happens. What happens to Matthew? He encounters Jesus Christ, the Messiah. And he's like, whoa, whoa, hold the phone. It's not this kingdom. It's not that kingdom. It's this kingdom. And the whole emphasis through Matthew is this kingdom theology, this kingdom understanding. And Jesus so frequently taking it back to it's not that kingdom or this kingdom it's his kingdom and if it's not one of the most relevant things to talk about in in the the political climate right now i don't know what is like when we started the gospel of matthew and this forsaken kingdom and i looked at it finishing up getting close to finishing around november i was like this is the lord you know because on a weekly basis, we have to keep reminding ourselves that we are citizens of a heavenly kingdom. And while we do take comfort in being part of a country that's free and a nation that, that has the ideals that our country does, spoiler alert, I've been all over the world. you guys want to know something? Every single country in the world thinks they're the best country. No joke no matter where you go they've got their claims to fame and they're number 1 and they're better than everybody else and not very many people like us by the way i don't you probably know that too americans but when we find our identity in the physical kingdom of earth we get robbed of the gifts and promises of the heavenly kingdom why because we're living in this kingdom we're occupying this kingdom We're not abiding in, occupying our citizenship of heaven, and receiving the fulfillment of God's promises to us as citizens. The title of today's message in this Forsaken Kingdom series is Ordained Arrival. And we start off with the triumphal entry, and we have five points. We're going to cover the whole chapter. I know that it's a lot, but it's important to look at the whole chapter because Jesus is trying to communicate something specific to us through this chapter 21. And it starts with the ordained arrival. You might not be surprised. Maybe some of you will be, but can I let you in on a little secret? God's never late. He has perfect timing for everything, and we are the ones that really get all bent out of shape when it comes to waiting. Because when it comes, uh, w- when it's a yes from God, Lord, can I do this? And he's like, yeah. I'm like, yes, you're awesome. You're the best God ever. Yeah. And then sometimes when he says no to me, he's like, no, Tim, you can't have that. I'm like, all right. It's, it's all right. It's all right. It's best for me. And it, it's not the hardest thing to receive. It's like, you know, there's, there's got to there's be a reason I take comfort in that. But you know what's the hardest The waiting is the hardest part. When you ask God something, and he he doesn't say yes, he doesn't say no, he says wait because he knows the perfect timing for you to go through in this season. We tend to get ahead of God. Some in this chapter tend to lag behind and miss it. But for God, he sees the beginning from the end. He sees everything, and his timing is perfect. And that's a word that I believe we need to hear right now. God's timing is perfect. He knows what's happening. He knows what he's doing. And we, through faith, can demonstrate that by being obedient to him, and then the byproduct of of obedience we're going to see in today's study is fruit abiding in him, waiting on his perfect timing. And I will say this, we're going to talk about it a little bit more, but I will say this, that God has appointed you to be in this season of your life for such a time as this. There is a purpose that you are surrounded by the people that you're surrounded by at work, your family, your friends. There's a purpose And let's have ears to hear this morning and eyes to see what God has for us each individually and corporately in this season. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that your word is perfect. It's sharper than any double-edged sword dividing even to bone and marrow. And that we can trust in your word that you are so good, that that time of worship was so precious. I want to sing to you and offer you the fruit of our lips. We want to study your word to show ourselves approved workmen who do not need to be ashamed and and to apply your word to our lives as an act of worship. And and then we pray that you bless the tithes and offerings, Father, that, that those wouldn't be done in compulsion, that we would do it as an act of worship to you. Speak to us today through your word, Father, we pray. Give us ears to hear as, as we asked in Jesus' name. Amen. Chapter 21, verse 1. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethphage, on the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village opposite you immediately, and you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Loose them and bring them to me, and if anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord has need of them, and immediately he will send them. So for the first service, I gave you them the five points up front, and I forgot to do that. So I'm going to do it now. We're getting to our first point, but I'm going to give you the, first, the five up front so that you can uh, follow along with us. Got the five points? No? All right. Let's go into point number one. Verse 4, all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet saying, tell the daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming to you lowly and seated on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. Number one, the number one point, if you're taking notes, is presentation. Jesus presented himself to the people. And not only did he present himself, but this is the first time that he officially presents himself. This is the triumphal entry. Daniel chapter 9 was prophesied to the day that the Messiah was going to go into Jerusalem. And what is his presentation? His presentation is, he is the Messiah. He is the King. All this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet, saying, Tell the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you lowly and sitting on a donkey. So the disciples went and did as Jesus commanded them. They brought the donkey and the colt, laid their clothes on them, and set him on them. And a very great multitude spread their clothes on the road. Others cut down branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Then the multitude who went before and those who followed cried, saying, Hosanna to the Son of David! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord! Hosanna in the highest! And when he had come into Jerusalem, all the city was moved, saying, Who is this? So the multitude said, This is Jesus the prophet from Nazareth of Galilee. Now, we can't make any kind of definitive statements, but um, we do know and we do see here Jesus revealing himself as the Messiah. And we see the people's response to that revelation is what? Praise and recognition of his position. Hosanna in the highest, the the son of David, everybody knew what that meant. And we don't know for sure who was there and who was not there, but many would agree that these are some of the same people in this crowd that will be, in a few days' time, be screaming a different phrase. They'd be screaming, crucify him! Get him away from us! Do away with him! And why is that? I think that it's connected to something that we suffer from today as well. It's called... Uh, unfulfilled expectation. I think maybe some of the frustration of the crowd was in that Jesus wasn't who they thought he was going to be. He was the Messiah, but they expected different things from him. And sometimes I meet Christians who have the same problem. They've been walking with the Lord or they identify as a Christian and then things start to happen in their lives that they disapprove of. And they say, wait a minute, wait a minute. No, no, no. This is not what I signed up for. And we're going to get to that in point number five. So let's hold tight. I don't want to finish too early. But hold on a second. This is not what I signed up for. But but Jesus is the one who is the king. He's the Messiah. For all intents and purposes, he's the one that makes the rules. God the Father, not us. But we get really bent out of shape when our expectations aren't fulfilled. Do you get frustrated when something that you expected doesn't come to pass? You know, at the beginning of the lockdown, we were pretty frustrated because as things started happening, and you remember, they kind of happened pretty quickly, we would sit down with our elders, and, and um, we would look at everything that's going, and, and we would make a plan. And this is what we said. This is what I said in, in a meeting that we had. I said, I want to get ahead of the curve. I want to start planning on, on what to do next so we're ahead of everybody else when we start making decisions. Guess what? Two days later, everything changed again. And then what happened? A day later, everything changed again. And we had this paper that was typed out of all the policies and everything that we were going to do to make things work and be good. And, and the next day, we crumpled it up and threw it in the trash. And there was some frustration. There was, at some point, after things just kept changing, we're like, man, what can we do? We can't do anything. You know, another way that you can translate the word expectation, I've shared this with you before, especially as, uh, when we went through our series in Philippians, but another word you can translate expectation is hope. Our hope is in God, not our expectations and how we think things should happen or go. Our expectations about what my life should look like. So you can go very easily from Hosanna in the highest to crucify him because of something that you thought somebody should be doing for you. That's usually how expectations go. I saw this silly little meme. There's a lot of funny, silly little memes going around. And and, um, this guy was at a McDonald's drive through so he said I don't know if it was a real story or not but he said that he was at a McDonald's drive through and he was taking too long at the ordering window and the lady behind him was screaming and honking the horn and saying hurry up you know so he decided to pay for her food. So he ordered her food, too, and paid for it, got to the first window, paid for it, got to the second window for pickup, and the lady at the first window told the lady behind him, hey, that guy paid for your food, and she was all embarrassed, you know, and, oh, and, you know, awkwardly waved and everything, and then then when the food came, he paid for it, so he took his food and hers and drove away, made her wait longer. And there's one or two of us in here who, who just thought, that's a pretty good idea. But maybe the intention, the first intention was definitely better, and maybe it would have been better exercised as well. Jesus clearly reveals himself here as the Messiah, and Jesus has clearly presented himself to you and to I. And now you have the blessed opportunity to take him and to present him to somebody else. This is who Jesus is in truth. Not who you think he is, not who you want him to be, who he really is. And Jesus always met the people right where they were at. All these other religions of the world, they're all so distant, high on top of a mountain, You've got to work so hard to be approved. Jesus says, come as you are. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. I will give you rest. Going into point number two, verse 12, Jesus immediately, here we see, then Jesus went into the temple of God and drove out all those who bought and sold in the temple and overturned the tables of money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. And he said to them, It is written, My house shall be called a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. Each one of the Gospels presents this in a different light. In fact, most scholars would agree that Jesus did this multiple times. He actually also did it at the beginning of his ministry, but here at the, toward the end, he's going in over Passover during Passover, and he does it again. And I like that the, the differences, the little nuances of the witnesses that, and how they record it. Mark says, uh, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations. The emphasis being that God's intention for his temple, the place that he dwelt, was for people to come to him, anybody, from anywhere. And this has always been God's heart from the very beginning. God wants people to come to him. And there was one area, the court of the Gentiles, the outer court, where they were allowed to come in to get as close as they could to the presence of God. And the religious elite of that day said, no, you can't stay in here. we got to set up tables. We're going to make some good money in this area. They were prohibiting people from coming into the presence of God. And if there's one thing that God hates... Can I be emphatic? There's a lot of things people say God hates. Do you know what God hates most of all? And whenever I hear about God hating things, it kind of frustrates me a little bit. Do you know what God really hates? God hates the deeds of the Nicolaitans. He hates those who say they have some kind of greater authority and prohibit access to him, which is the purpose that Jesus Christ died on the cross for you and my sins, so that we could be a kingdom of priests, so that we can have access to him, and there's nobody that has greater access than anybody else. And he says, you have taken my father's house that was meant to give access people people access to me, and you've made it into a, a den of thieves, robbers. They would charge 20 times more in the outer court of this area than they would outside the gates where you could buy something for 20 times less. But you were closer to the temple. And it was a holier sacrifice. It is written, My house shall be called a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. I was talking to a brother recently, just last week, and he said to me, he said, I don't want to offend you. I have a question. I don't want to offend you, or I don't want to upset you but but i want to know why you have better greater access to god than everybody else and i said i am so glad that you asked that question because i do not i do not have better access god wants you to boldly come to the throne of grace to receive mercy and help in time of need every single person here every person watching has the same access the only time i have better access or greater access to god is when when is my access better or greater when i'm doing it when i'm doing it you want to have more access to god you're competitive great go get on your knees and seek him, because he says, if you seek me, you will find me if you search with me for me with all of your heart. It's a promise imperative. And nobody, nobody can say, I'm better than you, and I have greater access to you. This was the problem that I had as a teenager. I went and talked to my priest. I was born and raised Roman Catholic, went and talked to my priest. I said, hey, buddy, I like you I want to be close to God. I want to know God. You know, how, do I have to be celibate and, and live the kind of life you live to, to, to know God and who he really is? He said, you know, some people are just holier than others, Tim. And he said, you know, and this is what he said to me. He said, don't, Tim don't worry about. It. I'm like, don't worry about. I'm talking about like eternal things or don't. He's like, leave the heavy stuff with me and I don't want to disrespect the guy because I I did love him and respect him. But I had one problem. And I probably would have just kind of bought into it, but I had one problem. I said, "Listen, I got a problem. These girls, they're pretty and they smell really good. And I just can't reconcile you know, God saying that I have to not have a girlfriend to be close to him. And then I found out in the Bible that it says that you should not pro- prohibit a man to marry. And I thought, I liked, I'm i going to stick to the Bible. Huh? There's a lot of things in there and make a lot of sense and not these man-made traditions or religion. God's desire from the very beginning was to give you access to him. Take it. Take it. Press in, especially now. It says that he went down in the Garden of Eden in the cool of the day to have a walk and talk with Adam and Eve. Isn't that cool in Genesis? It says he just was going to go hang out with Adam and Eve. Hey, where are you guys? Can't put anything past God, by the way. Where are you guys? (laughs)
2: Like
3: when your kids play hide and seek. I don't know. I don't see Johnny. <laughs> Who told you you were naked? Oh man. He was coming to be with them. God wants to be with the people he created a special place for them to come. That area the lime uh, the lime the blind and the lame would also be in that court, that outer area. What's the next sentence? Then the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. But when the chief priests and scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, and the children crying out in the temple and saying, Hosanna, the son of David, they were indignant and said to him, Do you hear what these are saying? And Jesus said to them, Yes. Have you never read out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants? I have perfected praise. Then he left them and went out to the city, of the city to Bethany, and he lodged there. Number two, if you're taking notes, number one was presentation. By the way, it's three Ps and two Os. If It's easier for, for you to remember. PPP helped a lot of people out recently. Presentation, number two is prescription. You know what God prescribed? He prescribed a certain way for you to know who he is and have access and entrance to him, prescribed. That was his intention from the beginning, always to give us a way in. Verse 18, Now in the morning, as he returned to the city, he was hungry. And seeing a fig tree by the road, he came to it and found nothing on it but leaves and said to it, Let no fruit grow on you ever again. Immediately the fig tree withered away. Now take note, this is our third P, and the third P is picture. Jesus is painting a picture, and he's going to use this illustration of faith to project what the nation of Israel is actually going through and their lack of faith. He says, let no fruit grow on you ever again. Charles Spurgeon, a very amazing quote that I never even crossed my mind until I read Charles Spurgeon said this. Charles Spurgeon said, the first Adam went to the fig tree to cover his nakedness. The second Adam went to the fig tree to pick the fruit. You know, God is really big on fruit. Fruit in our lives is something that's born through faith. If we say that we have faith, what is produced by faith is fruit. And then we can see John chapter 15, the emphasis on bearing fruit to God's glory. We see the fruits of the Spirit, and everybody would agree that there's not one fruit of the Spirit that we would say, I don't want to have. They're all good. They're all connected to God's character, His grace, His goodness. And God is seeking fruitfulness for you and for me. When the disciples saw it, they marveled, saying, How did the fig tree wither away so soon? So Jesus answered and said to them, Assuredly, I say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt, you will not only do what was done to the fig tree, but also if you say to this mountain, Be removed and be cast into the sea, it will be done. And whatever things you ask in prayer, believing, you will receive. Now, I understand that most people, and I did this for years too, I understand that when you read that or when you have read it in the past, the focus is on the action, isn't it? A mountain? You can throw a mountain into the sea or curse a fig tree? That's not the point of what's being communicated. The point of what's being communicated back to the fig tree again is the fruit. It's the faith. Jesus says if you have faith, you can do anything. Because faith is connected to trust, hope in God. His ability to do anything. Not my ability to do anything. And by exercising that faith in my life, naturally what comes from it is fruitfulness. And that's glorifying to God. I was having a debate with this guy in the parking lot of Costco one day. And what turned out um, what ter- what started as my battery was dead, and he recognized and was going to give me a a jump. We went we turned to very quickly to theology and the meaning of life, and all you know how those kind of things normally happen. You know, one or two questions, and then before you know, and and his argument was that works is necessary for salvation. And I'm like, you're missing the point that James is trying to make. The point he's trying to make is that if you have faith, you are going to do things. But let me make a distinction for you. The works that most false world religions focus on, the works that they focus on is completely contrary to the fruit of God that's born in in believers' lives. Think of it this way. Think of an orange tree. I mean, we don't have many trees here, but what do orange trees do? They produce oranges. I know this is going we gonna go deep this morning. <laughs> and when is the last time you looked at an orange tree and you're like, "Man, that's a nice orange tree," and it's just sitting there? And then all of a sudden, the orange tree goes, "Pop, ah, pop, 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 pop," and all these oranges pop. I'm like, man, yo, good job, orange tree. You're doing some good work over there making those oranges. They didn't did it. It's never done that before. Why? Because oranges are a natural byproduct of the orange tree. They don't have to work to do it. They don't have to try. It occurs naturally. Just like a, a, a Christian that says they have faith, fruit is born in their lives and it happens naturally. It's not a work that they do. Let me ask you a question. In the orange tree, who does the work? Who does the work? The the, the gardener. He's the one. He cultivates the soil, makes sure he puts some fertilizer. He recognizes the branches that don't bear fruit and he cuts them off so that the tree can bear more fruit, better fruit. See, this is why Jesus says if you're connected to the vine, you you can do much. You can bear an abundance of fruit. If you're not connected to the vine, you can do nothing. There's nothing you can do. This also speaks of that element of faith That we as believers have to function in, have to operate in, walk in on a daily basis so that we can be producing fruit. And if I see, not in a critical judgmental way, but if I experience a believer that is fruitless in their life, it's most probably because they're faithless more than fruitless. See, because it's not them working or proving something, it's that something's being proven through the fruit that comes from their life. Does that make sense? So Jesus says, if you have faith, this is the point. The picture is the nation of Israel does not have faith right now. But if you have faith, anything is possible. Now when he came into the temple, the chief priests and the elders of the people confronted him as he was teaching and said, By what authority are you doing these things, and who gave you this authority? But Jesus answered and said to them, I also will ask you one thing, which if you you tell me, I likewise will tell you by what authority I do these things. The baptism of John, where was it from? From heaven or from men? They reasoned among themselves, saying, If we say from heaven, he will say to us, Why then did you not believe him? But if we say from men, we fear the multitude, for all count John as a prophet. So they answered in Jesus and said, We do not know. And he said to them, Neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. Now maybe you thought this, maybe you didn't. Maybe you thought, maybe, just... Jesus, why didn't you just tell them? You know, you've got the authority, but here's, here's the issue with that. Jesus was going to tell them. All they had to do was answer the question, and that was the answer. Because if they answered truthfully and said, yes, John was, who was John? John was the forerunner of Jesus pointing to who he was. Not only that, he gives the answer. Point number four what do you think? A man had two sons, and he came to the first and said, Son, go work today in my vineyard. He answered and said, I will not. But afterward, he regretted it and went. Then he came to the second and said, Likewise. And he answered and said, I, I go, sir. But he did not go. Which of these two did the will of his father? They said to him, the first, Jesus said to them, assuredly, I say to you that tax collectors and harlots enter the kingdom of God before you. For John came to you in the way of righteousness and you did not believe him, but tax collectors and harlots believed him. And when you saw it, you did not afterward relent and believe him. And then Jesus does what? He gives them the answer anyway. He points to John. He points to their unbelief. He points to the belief for the faith of the tax collectors and the harlots. And he very clearly gives them the answer, which brings us to our fourth point. Our fourth point is obedience. Let's hone in on verse 30 once more. Then he came to the second and said likewise, and he answered and said, I go, sir, but he did not go. Which of these two did the will of his father? That's important for us to look at. Did the will? This is the great dichotomy between religion and relationship through Jesus Christ. This is the the big difference between, and I've said this before, but I've got to say it again, Christianity and every other institutionalized religion in the world. This is the biggest difference. One is focused on sacrifice, what you can do, and the other is focused on obedience and obedience alone. Faith in Jesus Christ without works, which produces fruit. The others say, you've got to climb this mountain. You've got to do this thing. You've got to do that. Here's these 10 things, and here's these rules and here's your diet and here's this and here's that and then maybe you can get closer to God. And the Bible says, no, Jesus Christ alone will give you access to the Father and it's through obedience, believing in Him that you receive that. Now, I've said this before, and I've gotten a little pushback until I explained it, of course, and I do kind of enjoy ruffling people's feathers, so bear with me this morning if you want to be ruffled. But uh, Jesus, people have, I've heard it said that, that Jesus loved you so much that he went to the cross and was tortured and died for your sins. You know that that's not the gospel. That's false. Jesus did not love you so much because you're so special and you're such a coochie little, that he, oh, I'm going to go to the cross and I'm going to die for him. That is not the gospel. You know what the gospel is? Jesus loved the Father so much that the Father loved you so much that he said, son, you got to go to the cross. And he says, and, and Jesus says, if there's any other way, if the cup can pass from me, but not my will be done, your will be done. It was obedience to the Father's plan that He laid down His life. And it's that obedience that is exemplified to us that we, when we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts that He raised from the dead, we become saved through obedience, not through any sacrifice. One of my favorite verses in the Psalms about obedience and sacrifices, God is talking to the people and he says, I own the cattle on a thousand hills. What do you have to offer me? Because the people were like, here God, take this. Here God, take that. And then the foreign gods that were in the land that worshiped their foreign gods were offering their children as sacrifice. Here God, take our babies. We'll kill them for you, gods. And God says, I never asked you for any of that. I own the cattle on a thousand hills. I, everything that's created, I created for you. And there's nothing that you can give to me. The one thing that you can give to him, the one thing is obedience. is, is humbly, and this is how we're going to bring it back to point five, is humbly saying, I trust you are who you say you are. I know that you've done something. You've done it for me, and I fall short, but I want to receive it, and I thank you through your son, Jesus Christ. There was two sons. One son that said, no, dad, I'm not going. I better go. Another son that said, yeah, I'll go, dad. I'll go do it, dad. Then he stayed on the couch playing Fortnite. I don't know if this is speaking to anybody this morning, but one was obedient, one was disobedient. And he points out that there's others, the tax collectors and harlots that will go ahead because of, number one, faith, Number two, obedience. Number five. Hear another parable. There was a certain landowner who planted a vineyard and set a hedge around it, dug a wine press in it and built a tower, and he leased it to vine dressers and went into a far country. Notice that word leased. He leased it to the vine dressers, went into a far country. Now when vintage time drew near, he sent his servants to the vine dressers that they might receive its fruit. Remember, fruit's important to God. And the vine dressers took his servants, beat one, killed one, and stoned another. Again, he sent other servants, more than the first, and they did likewise to them. Then last of all, he sent his son to them, saying, They will respect my son. But when the vine dressers saw the son, they said among themselves, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him and seize his inheritance. So they took him and cast him out of the vineyard and killed him. Therefore when the owner of the vineyard comes what will he do to those vine dressers they said to him he will destroy those wicked men miserably and lease his vineyard to other vine dressers who will render to him the fruits in their seasons Jesus said to them have you never read in the scriptures the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone this was the lord's doing and it is marvelous in our eyes Therefore I say to you the kingdom of God will be taken from you and given to a nation bearing fruits of it and whoever falls on this stone will be broken but on whomever it falls it will grind him to powder Now when the chief priests and Pharisees heard his parables they perceived that he was speaking of them and when they sought to lay hands on him they feared the multitudes because he took him they took him for a prophet Last point our final o is Ownership. Ownership. How many times in my life have I said to God, God, I love you, and all these things are yours, but these things over here, those are mine. I'm in charge of these couple things. You can have everything else. But the reality is that everything that I have in my life has been leased to me. And there's no ownership that I hold over anything. The only thing that I can do is manage well as a steward. And managing well as a steward what God has given me, what happens? I'll be able to produce fruits that that it, I get to enjoy, but it goes to the glory of God. Okay? Do you see this picture that's being painted? And Jesus says... You guys are not producing fruit. Why? Because they're disconnected from faith. How? They're more focused on sacrifices than they are on obedience. They find themselves in this position where God says, and you know, Jesus says to them, and they get offended. But they could have an opportunity to repent as well and turn instead of just getting offended and trying to fight back. Jesus? And he is who he says he is. Verse 44 is really the key of this last parable and him talking to them. Let's look at it again. Therefore I say to you, uh, whoever falls on this stone will be broken, but on whomever it falls, it will grind him to powder. I like to say this to myself, and I feel like I said it a few Sundays ago too, but you know what? I'm not in charge. He's in charge. He's the owner I'm the leasee, I'm the steward. I want to take care of things and when I do things well and in faith and in obedience, my life produces fruits. Remember I said at the beginning that you are in the season that you're in right now with the people that you're with for such a time as this? Look at those relationships and that those situations as your stewardship. And you can be producing fruit through that season. If you're not too focused on what you think you own, what you think you deserve, what you think your rights are, and even dismantling part of God's plan to accommodate yourself. Kick the servants out. Stone them. Kill them. Get them out of here. We'll take the inheritance for ourselves. Still kind of caught up on this fruitfulness but let's look at the five points in closing and kind of reevaluate the application once more. Point number 2, presentation. Jesus has been presented to you. The funny thing is, you know, like I'll, you know, we, we go to we go to Africa, Ethiopia, and we support an orphanage over there and been all over, you know, Asia and Europe and I'll be talking to a guy on the street um in 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 europe somewhere and and uh, i had one of them say to me you know how do you know that jesus is real and 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 what about the people in africa that nobody's over there telling about jesus and i'm like i'm glad you asked because i have a really good friend sean and megan Havilar, that are there right now telling people about jesus you don't know who's presenting the gospel to people you don't know who's hearing or not hearing But be telling, be telling, present him well. Especially now, you have a great opportunity right now because people hate each other for some reason. (laughs) Present Jesus. Number two, prescription. What did God prescribe? What was his intention? His intention was fellowship with you. And if you never experienced that, I want you to experience it today. And it comes through faith and obedience of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what God's intention is. He wants to be a part of the process with you. Number three, picture. Now, as much as that fig tree was a picture of the nation of Israel, we also have trees in our lives that are pictures of our faith and what's being produced. You know those verses about fruit inspecting in the Bible? I had somebody um, that I was talking to about say that, that it was both, but be that as it may, whatever. Um, whenever it talks about fruit inspecting in the Bible, it's talking about inspecting your own fruit. <laughs> but the first thing we do, hmm, who can I think of that doesn't have any fruit? Yeah, that person doesn't bear any fruit. No peace or joy or long-suffering over there. It's, it's meant to, to show a picture of your fruitfulness. And we can see that once we start putting that picture from from them to right here. Oh, man. Number four, obedience. Obedience is always better than sacrifice there is nothing that you have to offer god that he wants or needs that's greater than your own heart and obedience to him i went through a season of dark season where I was crying out to God and and the Lord spoke that word in my head as I was crying out. He said, "You can, Tim, you can fall on the rock and be broken or you can let the rock fall on you and be ground to powder. This is part of the gospel too. Humility, I have nothing to offer you. Here I am, Lord. Here I am. Obedience. Number five, ownership. The rock thing was more connected to the ownership, wasn't it? But still. Because I hold on to these things that, no, that's not, that's not the way that God intended it. That's not what he was looking at. And far be it from me or anybody else to prohibit somebody from gaining that access to the God that created them in his image. And that's what his desire is. But if you look at every single other world religion, there's always the hoops that you have to jump through, the requirements that emphasize sacrifice instead of the obedience of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word to us today and that it's living and active and sharper than any double-edged sword. and It's for our benefit. We want to be those vine dressers that take your ownership seriously for the for the sake of your fruitfulness in our lives that we want to be people that that not just say that we're Christians but by professing faith in you through your son that that we are heavenly minded fruit producers that are not working to prove that we're better than other people, but just that we have received the abundance of your goodness to us. Thank you for the obedience that we see in our Lord Jesus going to the cross. Even in his most difficult hour, most difficult moment, at the end of the day, literally, not my will be done, but your will be done. God, give us eyes to see where you've placed us, who you've placed us around, how we can love greater in such a time as this. We love you and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.